Stephen Harmison with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Well, he's done it, folks. Virat Kohli's finally got past 100, first time in about 950 years. Uh, the king is back, but the queen is no more. And to dissect all the cricket news in the week, Callum is with us. How are you doing, Callum? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad, thanks. Yeah, it's been a, a, a big week, obviously. The, yeah, as I mentioned off the top there, the queen is no longer with us. And uh, we saw the first rendition of God Save the King yesterday at the uh, England-South Africa Test match. Um, but we'll start with the Australian and New Zealand ODI series. Australia have won that series 2-0 with one more match still to be played in uh, Cairns later today as we record. How have you seen that series so far? It's been been an odd one, hasn't it? Um, it's been really dominated by the bowlers. And um, I know we were a little bit critical of the Townsville pitch um, during the Zimbabwe series. Honestly, looking at the condition of the Cairns pitch and the way it's played, I don't think it's necessarily been awful. I think it's more the batters have not been going about it correctly. And um, that's obviously translated into the low scores. And um, it's still been a really compelling series, though. I think the first ODI is probably the most competitive ODI we've seen in quite a while. So that was pretty good to watch. And then the second one was... I mean, I guess I suppose it was history making. Um, maybe not for the right reasons, but um, we we can we can break that down a little bit later. But I just want to uh, I just want to first get your thoughts on um, what you thought of that first ODI, and did you think we were in trouble, or did you think we would pull it through, or what what was the situation there? Yeah, no, I thought we were in massive trouble. We were what five for forty four at one point. Australia was obviously we weren't. We don't play for Australia. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then Alex Carey and, and Cameron Green came together and, you know, 80s from each of them. And uh, they kind of wrestled that match back. And, and, you know, once they got past kind of 30, it looked like, you know, Australia was just going to cruise home. You know, the run rate never really got out of hand. And that's the kind of the benefit of chasing, you know, a low 200s total. It's, uh, it's not putting a lot of pressure on the batters. And uh, yeah, those two scored pretty freely the whole time. You know, some big pull shots from Cameron Green, which were good to see. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't quite get to to hundred. There just wasn't enough runs in the in the game for him to do that. Uh, so he, he's still looking for three figures in international cricket. But yeah, a really a good chase and uh, very disappointing if you're a New Zealand fan. I would have thought uh, they kind of took the pressure off there when Kerry and Green came together. You know, they put uh, they took off you know that that those front line uh, bowlers and they just let Australia kind of cruise around for a bit before bringing them back. But by then it was too late. You know, Green and Carey were, were pretty settled. Yeah, yeah. Um, what Ian Smith was saying a lot of in the uh, com box, and um, which I felt was quite valid, was um, if Trent Bolt is bowling well, why leave him off for so long? And um, I think you know they 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 probably corrected that to pretty good effect in the uh, in the second ODI. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's a matter of. Kane Williamson needing to make that assertive choice of, okay, these guys, they look like they're starting to get settled. We need to unsettle them. We need to get, you know, Alex Carey's left-hand bowler, Trent Bolter's gun to left-hand. <laughs> you know, we need to get the strike bowler on and we need to break up this partnership. But, you know, it um, when it's in a, uh, 
at a, a ground like Cairns, so you're not all that familiar with the conditions or how it's going to play and that sort of thing. I suppose in the first ODI, you'd be bound to maybe experiment a little bit with spin, just see what happens. Um, Santner was fine. Um, Santner is, is, you know, an accurate, tidy bowler, but he really wasn't what was called for in that, in that particular uh, situation. Yeah, I think it, it just showed the uh, innate conservatism that comes with New Zealand cricket and uh, the New Zealand captaincy. Even, you know, they've done so well and obviously won the World Test Championship, but even that was kind of off the back of conservative cricket. You know, you play your four paces and you, you bowl them five overs each. You just rotate it around. Um, it, it wasn't really the experimental stuff. Maybe bowl, uh, bowl eight or nine overs up front if you can do it. Um, it's not going to hurt you in the back end, that's for sure. Like, you, you've got to take wickets early in order to win these games, especially with low totals. And those low totals were really seen in that second ODI, obviously, with, uh, you know, Steve Smith hit 61, was the best of them, but Australia 195 for nine and lucky to get there, really. Um, they were eight for 117. And then, you know, Stark with 38, Zampa 16 and Hazelwood 23 at the end. Uh, they, they really saved Australia there from what could have been a, you know, a 150 total maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, when I saw it, it was like eight down at, um, you know, maybe not even 120. Yeah. I um, I was kind of thinking that it might be 125, 130 all out. Mm. But Mitchell Stark did what Mitchell Stark does at the end of his uh, of his batting innings when um, when he needs to uh, produce. He, he seems to do it with the bat. And um, he, he did it again with a good uh, good 38 um, and actually earned a man of the match. Yeah. <laughs> um, in that particular aspect, you'd expect him to be man of the match with the with the bowling, but you know, um, he was he still bowled well. He was he still had a pretty good series, and um, yeah, he and Hazelwood just looked like they had a great time out there. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, when you play with um, that joy and that uh, that freedom, I suppose that that comes across. And um, I think that's been the issue with a lot of the uh, the batting so far this series. They've just been really tight. I mean, especially New Zealand, they've been really conservative as you say but like to a, like a fearful extent and that's kind of really restricted them yeah i'll be really interested to see what happens uh in that final match today i think they might go a, a little bit harder and actually try to win this game um but off their batting performance in that second innings uh they shouldn't be hoping for too much uh the top scorer there the captain with 17 from 58 that's um you know slow for a test match let alone an ODI and you know they were just bowled out for 82. Um, you were pretty happy with Sean Abbott's performance though, weren't you? I was, I was. Um, so Sean Abbott bowled 28 dot balls in a row. That's sensational. Even if yeah. it's, you know, against a super conservative batting lineup, it's still two top order batsmen. <laughs> he took uh, two for one in his five overs. Mm. That's not too bad. Um, he took uh, two in, in the same over. Um, two pretty important wickets as well. He got um, Latham and he got uh, Conway, who was actually looking quite yeah. good. And uh, yeah, it was um, it, it was vindicating, as I as I've said on social media. It um, it um, I, I was happy to see it actually. And he showed great body language. Um, he bowled really accurately. Um, I think he's he's got his lengths a lot better than he used to. He used to kind of pitch it too short, and he didn't quite have the same pace to make that all that effective. Um, so now he's gone fuller. Um, he played to the pitch well, and I think it's a it's a it's a good base for him to continue his uh, his progress in limited overs cricket. Yeah, absolutely. And and then Adam Zampa, 
Uh, took five to finish it off, really. You know, got rid of the tail. Also took Daryl Mitchell, but yeah, mostly. Uh, wickets at the end there. A pretty disappointing performance from New Zealand all round, really. It was, um, yeah, just, just not good enough. Uh, someone I want to highlight, though, and you're not going to be surprised by this, Glenn Maxwell in the first ODI, uh, four for 52. Uh, really getting some some good spin on a pitch that wasn't necessarily spinning that much. And, you know, he, he gives it a lot more of a rip than any other off spinner in the country, except for maybe Nathan Lyon. Yeah, no, he, um, he, he really goes for it. I think, I think Maxwell's realized with his bowling that his off break is really his strength. Mm. And as such, probably bowling in the nets and stuff like that, that's all he's thrown. You know, he's thrown off breaks, maybe variations of off breaks and that sort of thing. And um, it really came off in the, uh, in the first ODI. Um, because yeah, he was getting it to move quite a bit. Um, he was getting a lot of natural variation, which you know, Santner wasn't, for example. And um, it was yeah, it was probably one of the most aggressive uh, ODI finger spinner performances I've seen, and it um, it paid off really well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's definitely been working on his bowling uh, a lot more as of late. Obviously, he got called into that Sri Lanka squad for the Test matches, and I think. You know, the expectation was that he was going to play as a second or maybe third spinner. Uh, that didn't eventuate. Obviously, Travis Head kind of bowled the house down in the first match and and that was that uh, no game for Maxi. But if he wants to go to India and play in those tests, then his bowling will be a big part of that. And he really has to differentiate himself, differentiate himself from Travis Head and by bowling uh, a lot better where, you know, Head can definitely spin the ball. He's just not, not all that accurate. Uh, we'll move on a little bit, though. Um, there's two guys that I think are under a little bit of pressure in this team. Obviously, Aaron Finch, we'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, Marnus and Marcus Stoinis, uh, they both have not performed at all in this series. Uh, do you think we're looking at replacements for them in the in the next few months? Stoinis hasn't had it for a while. He's played several matches. We've, we've spoken about him a few times. He's played several matches and he has an average of about 17 this year. Yeah. And that's just not good enough. Look, we know Marcus Stoinis can be a fantastic player. He can be a fantastic batter. He's been bowling fine, which, you know, is welcome. But we've said it a few times, and I won't hesitate to say it again. He's in the team to bat. If he can't perform in situations where he needs to, then perhaps he needs a spell outside of the team. Mm -hmm. It... um. I suppose it's a matter of thinking of who would you put in to replace him, you know, a lot of the kind of candidates you think of Australian top order batsmen to to fill in there are maybe a bit older and not longer term replacements and that sort of thing. But I'm sure you have a few ideas as to who could maybe come in. Um, obviously McDermott is a strong a strong candidate. Um, maybe Philippi, but again, he's a bit bit raw in regards to that sort of thing. But, yeah, I think at this point, Stoinis um, does need a spell out of the side. I don't think it's, it will spell the end of his international career, but I think he just needs to, you know, um, kind of refocus, maybe focus on the 2020 stuff for a bit, see how he goes. And then the other one you mentioned, Marnus. Um, well, we spoke about him briefly, um, you know, off camera. And uh, we, uh, we kind of came to the conclusion that he's, you know, we don't like to pigeonhole players, but he's a test specialist. You know, he he just doesn't seem to like to operate under the pressure of 
I need to score, I need to score, I need to score. Even though he he has a pretty good test strike rate and that sort of thing, he only does it because he feels like completely at ease playing defensively and that sort of thing. And he can't do that in ODIs. While he does still have an average of around 30, which is pretty good considering he hasn't played too many, he just he doesn't have that kind of that killer instinct that you'd want from a, a top order ODI batsman. And um, since he hasn't bowled at all, um, he doesn't offer too much besides being a pretty good fielder. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely, you've hit the nail on the head there with Marnus. Um, we'll go to Stoinis first, though. I think the the obvious candidate there is Cameron Green. You move Green up to six. Obviously, we've still got to fit Pat Cummins into this lineup. So, you know, Pat Cummins goes to eight, Green goes to six, and you keep Maxwell at seven. I, I think that's probably the long-term answer. Um, Marcus Stoinis, you know, he averages now under 30 with the bat and 45 with the ball. Like, 45 is... They're not all rounder numbers. Um, that's less than Maxwell, definitely less than Green. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably time to move on there. We'll probably keep him around in the T20s, as you said. I think that, you know, Cameron Green's not quite ready, or maybe not, maybe he's ready, but he hasn't shown that he's ready to play international T20 cricket as of yet. So, obviously, he got signed by the Scorchers. We'll see how he does in the Big Bash and then probably go from there. But I think, you know, Stoinis has already picked in that World Cup squad. So, uh, that's where he'll stay. But uh, Manus is also averaging just above 30 in ODI cricket, as you said. But if you look at his list A record, that's also just above 30 with only one other century. So he hasn't even proved in, like for Queensland, which is obviously very good batting pitches at the Gabba and uh, Alan Borderfield. It's just, it's not up to level. And his bowling, as you said, averages 98 in ODI cricket and 70 odd in list A cricket. So it's he's not picked as an all-rounder either. Um, I think they should both probably be moved on uh, in a couple of months when we pick that next squad. Who replaces Marnus? I'm not too sure about that. Tim David's there if they want to go down that road. Um, there's probably a few options. McDermott, as you said, Travis Head has to fit in this team somewhere as well. So there's definitely uh, options going forward. Um, and then, as I said, Pat Cummins will be the other one. Um, this is a bit redundant, but what do you think is going to happen in this third ODI? Um, look, I think New Zealand are going to respond. Um, I think if they get the opportunity, they're going to bowl first and they're going to bowl really aggressively. They're going to like bowl out their fast bowlers in the first 30, 30 overs and that sort of thing. And they're going to go really hard to get Australia to a minuscule total. Um, if that doesn't happen, if they end up batting, um, if they end up batting first, well, then I still think they're going to come out and play aggressively. I think, um, the openers, you know, they have it in them to be to be aggressive, high scoring kind of openers. Um, Guptal, Australia's just his bogey team, isn't it? He's not had a very good time, um, which is a shame because he is a really, really powerful player and a really, you know, good limited overs cricketer. But yeah, he's just not had it against Australia. Um, Conway, he's looked good, but he he got out pretty cheaply against Abbott. Um, as much as I wouldn't like to concede that, but he did. Um. And he, he sometimes gets caught in between um, as to whether he should take a single or if he should keep the strike and that sort of thing. And that's, you know, I think that's obstructed him a bit mentally. So I think they're, they're going to go out there and they're just going to go, look, we need to give it, give it our best and um, just, just see where it falls in line. We're, we're, we're an excellent team and we're definitely capable of beating Australia in Australia. Let's go and show that. Yeah, I think Martin Guptill, uh, there's a few players like this around the world where 
Um, you know, they're some of the best players in the world, but because they don't do it against Australia, um, they're not, you know, considered the best. Kane Williamson's one of them. He doesn't really dominate against Australia either. And and Martin Guptill, as you said, it's kind of New Zealand has um, this issue coming up against Australia. But yeah, Martin Guptill is definitely one of the best uh, T20 players of all time and, and a great white ball player as well. Um, we'll move on, though. Part of the ODI series is obviously we've seen the end of Aaron Finch. He announced yesterday that he would be calling time on his, uh, well, what's been a decade-long career for Australia. Uh, he said, I'd been extremely fortunate to play in some brilliant one-day sides, equally a bit blessed to have played, uh, played with and with many of the people behind the scenes. It's now time to give the new leader uh, a possible opportunity to prepare and win the next World Cup. I thank all the people who have helped me, helped me and supported me to this point. Um, we kind of knew this was coming, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Look, we we were we were seeing it kind of for a while. Um, you know, he his his batting hasn't been in it for a while, and I think it's kind of it it weighed on him to the point mentally where he's like, look, I'm not a not a young man anymore. Um, maybe it is time to move along, and um, so he's made that choice, and um, you know, respectfully, um, congratulations, I suppose, because he had a he did have a very good ODI career, and um. I mentioned on social media and um, you wrote an article about um, Finch's retirement and it was all Finch's leadership was all surrounded about being solid and being a good motivator. And I think, I think he really delivered in that respect. You know, he had about a 55% win rate as captain, which is pretty good. And um, he, he was pretty decent tactically. Sometimes he made some odd choices, but usually he's pretty solid tactically. He looks to take the wickets when, um, when you're fielding and um, he's not afraid to shuffle around the batting lineup. And yeah, he, he's, you know, he is going to leave a hole in that team, even though he hasn't been performing, he is going to, you know, he's a big influence. Um, he's a good influence and um, he's going to be missed. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I think he's better than a good player. I think he's one of the best ODI players Australia's ever had. Uh, definitely openness, that's for sure. Um, I think it, after Sandpaper, like a, a lot was put on Tim Payne as kind of this this face of Australian cricket. But I think equally Aaron Finch uh, was the same, right? Like we brought him into the test team after this in kind of kind of as a leadership role as well to open the batting and and to take the take it to the opposition. That didn't really work with the bat, obviously. But you know, and then he led the the one day in T Twenty teams to the Twenty Nineteen World Cup. Um, Obviously, we didn't get the win, but did did a really good job there. And and as you said, really good tactician, um, respected by literally everyone in the game. I don't think there's anyone that's got a bad word to say about him. And he kind of he did it without an ego that we see with a lot of other captains. Um, I'll use Michael Clark as the example because it's the biggest example. Um, he wanted everyone to know he was captain, right? And I don't think Aaron Finch uh, quite had that same same motivations behind him. And I, I think that he was. He was pretty happy to stay in the background if it meant he could still be the leader, but, you know, he'd do his job uh, with a good ability and he, and he did that. Um, do you think it's the right time or do you think it, you know, it could have come a little bit earlier? It maybe could have come a little bit earlier, but, you know, cricketers are very proud and, um, you know, Finch was probably hoping in the back of his head. I'll get a good performance. I'll get a good performance. I'll steady it. I can go on for a bit longer. I mean, it's probably hoping Zimbabwe, would have been that series, yep. but um, he didn't end up batting very well in that series. And I think that was probably the end of that series was probably the point where he decided, okay, yeah, I'm going to retire. And then um, he, he probably 
spoke to a few people and said, yeah, look, I'm going to retire, but I won't announce it until um, before the last New Zealand ODI, um, just so the boys don't, you know, get unsettled and that sort of thing, which again is really team oriented. And he, he's always been a really team oriented player. And that's something that, you know, you've got to respect. And yeah, like you said, everyone around the world respects Aaron Finch. And yeah, it, um, it maybe is a teensy bit later than you would have maybe uh, hoped, but you know, it's still a pretty good time. Yeah, I, I don't think it had a major effect on the team. Obviously, we still beat Zimbabwe and we beat New Zealand, so it's not really an issue there. And, uh, you know, a couple of months before the next ODI, there's, there's definitely enough time to, to give whoever's going to be that next captain the time to to figure out what how they want to lead the team and, and who they want in that team, whether that's, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it, you know, about Travis Head or announce Carey or I've seen Osman Kawaj's name being thrown up a little bit over the last couple of days. I'm not sure about that one. Um, but as you said, I, I wrote about it. I, I did that the night before we retired because, as I said, we all knew it was coming. Um, I think he's a victim of COVID uh, in that, you know, the, the years before COVID, 18, 19, 20, he was averaging over 50 every year um, as part of that. In 2018, that's why he was called into the, the test match squad because he was he was hitting the ball so well and, uh, he was like named ODI player of the year a bunch of times. And then he's come back. Obviously, we didn't play any cricket in 2021 or no ODI cricket. And he's come back in 2022 and he's averaged 13. So I think it's just that much time out of the format has just made it impossible for him to, to come back. And uh, it's just unfortunate. At 36, you know, it was it's always going to be hard to come back with a, with a lengthy break like that. And unfortunately, he couldn't do it. Um, hopefully we can see him do something in the T20 World Cup uh, and hopefully he can he can go off into the sunset holding that trophy aloft at the MCG I'm sure that's the way he'd uh, the way he'd like to go I want to know your thoughts on on where he ranks amongst Australia's ODI openers though um, we've got like you know obviously his partner David Warner um, Gilchrist Hayden Mark War who do you where do you reckon he ranks amongst those guys um, look, he's he's pretty he's pretty elite, as you said. He's one of the best ODI openers um, we've ever had, and probably um, world round um, for a while. Um, Gilchrist was incredible as an ODI opener. Um, I think he's probably incomparable at that particular point. But I'd say I'd place Finch second or third. You know, I think he's he's be he was that good during those years, as you mentioned, and he just you know. When an opener performs well and performs well consistently, it gives you such a good platform to go along in ODIs. And you have this confidence, like even when you're chasing, you go, okay, well, Finch is at least going to make a 60 odd. So, you know, we don't need to worry about that and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a really important role in a limited overs cricket. And um, he fulfilled it extremely, extremely well. Yeah, absolutely. So he finishes... Well, we don't know how he finishes. He might get 100 today, but assuming he doesn't, he finishes with 16, oh, sorry, 17 ODI centuries. That's one ahead of Gilchrist uh, and one below Warner and War. Obviously, Ricky Ponting's way ahead. Uh, he also played 200 more games than Aaron Finch. So uh, it is what it is there. But yeah, I think he's he goes down as one of the greats, that's for sure. But who do you think replaces him both, you know, at the top of the order? We've got to find another opener now and then as captain. Um. Well, I've said this a few times. Um, it's been circulating around Instagram a bit. I think Travis Head for both of those. Yeah. He's he's got the acumen to be captain. He's not he's not a selfish player. 
he's performed as an opener. I know he probably prefers being a top order, middle order kind of batsman, but if he's got the capability to do it, then I'm sure he can adapt to it. And I think he's probably what what I would say is the best candidate for that limited overs captaincy and for that opening spot. There has been talk about Kawaja. I would not be opposed. Kawaja's a good ODI player. Um, he is a bit older. I don't think he should be captain. Um, I think, you know, he, he's he's had a few struggles in respect to the Australian um, team. And um, through no fault of his own, he's um, ended up being in and out of that team probably way more than he should have been. And, you know, it would be odd for him to become captain after all of that. And I can't see too many other players that are ready to be ODI opener. So I feel like head makes the most sense there. Yeah, I think head definitely comes in um, in that position. It's going to depend on whether they want, uh, they might want Kawaja in as well. And then you move head to four or whatever they want to do there. Um, But yeah, I think head, head definitely is the one to come in. And then as captain, I think it's, either one of the South Australians, it's going to be Head or Carey. Um, I, I see a lot of people say that Carey should be captain ahead of Travis Head. Now, if Carey was the better captain, surely he'd be the captain of South Australia and not Travis Head. Like the idea that you'd bring the second best captain into captain the national team while you still have South Australia's captain in that team doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, if, if that's the way they want to go down, that's, that's up to them. But yeah, I'd be going Travis Head as well. Um, Glenn Maxwell's the other option if they want someone that's playing both uh, white ball formats, which will probably be the case. Um, although with Finch out, you need to find another T20 opener as well, and, and Travis Head probably slots in there. So, yeah, there's plenty of options, and I, and I think uh, Australia will be well suited no matter no matter who comes in. Um, David Warner is also out of, the, of that third ODI, so that's that's something else to finish off there. But we'll move to the international cricket whip around, and we'll start with the biggest tournament in the world at the moment the Asia Cup. Uh, Pakistan and Sri Lanka are through to the final. That's going to be played Sunday night, our time. And uh, they, they played a kind of a preview or a, a warm-up match for that a couple of days ago with uh, the final Super 4 game also being between those two. It's just the quirk of the fixture. And uh, Pakistan were bowled out for 121, uh, a game that I was up watching on Yup TV, the, the preferred format of uh, the Top Edge podcast. <laughs> how, did, how did you find that game? Um, look, I've only been able to catch highlights. Um, I think Pakistan's batting, they lost confidence because they lost wickets at key times. Um, you know, the Sri Lanka bowling attack has it's been most of this tournament has been very disciplined um, and um, they've they've performed really well. And that definitely showed in um, batter innings. Um, Baba top score scored with um, 30, but only off 29, which is very slow for him. And, uh, yeah, um, when it came to Sri Lanka's batting innings, um, they were put under a little bit of pressure. You know, Harris-Ralph and uh, Hasnain kind of put them under a bit of pressure with, um, you know, early wickets and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, they didn't have that big of a total to chase, and they knew that, and they approached it that way, 50 for uh, Patham Nasanka. So that was, um, wow, it was an impressive effort. And, yeah, they, they brought it home, and it'll put them in very good stead to win the final as well. Yeah, I was I was really interested going into this game to see whether both teams use it as kind of a warm up and you know change a bunch of their players up and and give a rest to guys. They did do that in the bowling department, not so much with the batters, or if they were going to you know go really hard and see if they could get some kind of psychological advantage or gain some momentum into the final. 
Um, obviously, Sri Lanka's come out on top there and they played a, a really good tournament, really changed up how they play T20 cricket, going a lot harder at the ball. And I think Chris Silver was part of that. He's obviously taken what he knows from England and brought that to Sri Lanka and, and that's really helped him out a lot. Um, we'll see how that, that final goes tonight, though. India, everyone's uh, eighth favourite team. Uh, they only won one Super 4 uh, stage game. Um, it seems like they've got a bit of a problem at least in white ball cricket, when they're under pressure. They do, they do, but they got a mighty win in their final Super 4 game, um, which means they're back. Yeah, they're back. They're, um, they're going to win the T20 World Cup. They're back. <laughs> yeah, they beat um, Afghanistan. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a bit, of a bit of a jumpy reaction, but there were definitely some Indian players that had a point to prove. And that point was proven against a pretty, you know, pretty good, pretty competitive Afghanistan team. Um, so they put up 212 in 20 overs, which is incredible. Uh, Virat Kohli, um, as you mentioned at the... I've never heard of him. Yeah, um, I've heard he's like some, some like kind of off, off kind of a mainstream sort of cricketer um you know keeps really quiet that sort of thing but yeah no so yeah this bloke called virat Kohli um hit his uh 71st century (laughs) um and uh broke his broke his duck um of um not having a century in 950 years as you mentioned so a bit of a long drought um and yeah he scored 122 off of 61 which is just unreal um the Afghanistani bowlers kind of had had no answer for what was happening. Um, their top wicket taker went for two for fifty seven, so <laughs> not amazing. But anyways, um, KL Rahul, who's been under pressure a lot, um, in regards to his position as opener in cricket and that sort of thing in uh, Indian cricket, but he put up sixty two, so um, he he did well there. And um, then yeah, no, not many others really had a chance to bat. Um, Pant got twenty not out. But yeah, it's just, it was all Kohli. It was the Kohli show. And I think Afghanistan, when they went out to bat, they were kind of like, we'll try. And then Bhuvneshwar came, Kumar came on. And then they're like, okay, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I hear you there. You're bearing the lead though. Dinesh Karthik bowled one over. Yeah, one over for 18 runs. Um, not bad from the wicketkeeper. Just trying to slot himself in ahead of uh, Pant. But as you said, Virat Kohli, absolute freak. Uh, averaging 92 through the tournament. Top scoring so far, and you know, Century, his first one in in uh, over a thousand days. So he, he's back. Um, we'll see how long this form can continue, but it's it's looking good for the World Cup. Um, it definitely answers some questions for India, um, some really difficult questions as well, whether they should go in without Kohli or uh, push him somewhere else down the order. But you know, he's he's hit that century, and and he'll stay at the top of the order for the rest of the World Cup. You would have thought. Um, and the, the good thing is that he seems to be having fun while he's doing it. You know, he, he brought up that hundred smiles everywhere uh, and just seemed happy to be, be playing cricket again, which I don't think was always the case um, over the last couple of years. I think it was definitely some difficult times there. Yeah. The break did him a while to good. You know, I think, I think he needed that. Um, you know, he was, he's always been kind of in his head, that sort of player. Um, just because he's, you know, this big figure, um, this real celebrity sort of cricketer, that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, probably got to him quite a bit when he wasn't performing. So I think taking the break and then coming back and just um, just playing more freely, which he definitely has done in the Asia Cup, um, has has worked wonders for him. Yeah, I think we'll touch quickly on the Caribbean Premier League. Only two Australians there, Tim David and Chris Green. Uh, Chris Green's taken two wickets for about 
80 runs, so not really doing a lot there. But Tim David came in off the plane from England and hit 40 from 23 to set up St. Lucia to a very good total. Once again, proving he can do it in all conditions and pretty much everywhere around the world. Yep, yep. Um, Tim David's had a few pretty decent scores. He's been um, in the top run scorers for St. Lucia about three times since he's come in, um, which is great because I haven't played that many fixtures. Um, and yeah, he's just, um, he's, he's continuing to prove that he's that elite level um, T20 player and, um, you know, further justifying his, uh, his selection in that uh, World Cup squad. And yeah, it's just it's getting closer and closer. We're, we're going to be able to see him and that's going to be, that's going to be fun. Nine days till that first Indian T20 begins. Um, off to county cricket though, and James Pattinson left Nottinghamshire early. Um, it seems like his Red Bull career could be coming to an end. Obviously, we saw him retire from Test cricket. Doesn't really play a lot for Victoria. He also left a big bash early. Um, it's pretty unfortunate that this is this seems to be coming to an end. Someone with uh, an immense amount of talent, you know, obviously really good with the ball, but could also probably bat at seven or eight for Australia if if that's what they required at any point. It is unfortunate. James Pattinson when he came in. And performed the way he did. You're like he's he's the next Mitchell Johnson. He's the next elite, you know, bowling all rounder that we're gonna that we're gonna have. And um, he's had a lot of injuries, which have kind of curtailed his um, progress. Um, the ascension of Cummins probably didn't quite help um, in respect to his uh, Red Bull Red Bull prospects because he was more or less a Red Bull specialist. And yeah, it was just, it was really unfortunate because, you know, he was this excellent, excellent fast bowler, but kept out by several other excellent fast bowlers, you know, Stark, Hazelwood, Hazelwood's incomparable when it comes to red ball bowling. And yeah, it's just unfortunate for Pattinson. And um, it's unfortunate that he's calling it probably a bit earlier than you would have, you would have expected or would have hoped, but you know, it's a, uh, it's one of those things. And uh just gotta just gotta hope that a similar thing doesn't happen in the future to another player. As you said, just unlucky to be born pretty much at the same time as you know those three great fast bowlers from New South Wales. Obviously, being Victorian offered something slightly different, uh, and you know it was was quicker than the three of them. I suggest at his best it was was absolutely rapid. Um, where obviously Hazelwood isn't. We'll move to Marcus Harris though. Uh, obviously dropped from Australian team a little while ago for Kawaja, but he hit 159 for Gloucestershire uh, over the week. He kind of goes to county cricket and dominates, and that's kind of what backs up his selection for the Australian team. Um, I think he's a really good first-class player, but just can't quite make that step up. Yeah, it seems like his ceiling. His ceiling is elite domestic red ball player. Which is a shame because, you know, when you watch him make these big scores, he looks really good. He hits the ball really well. He sees it really well. But he's another one of those who gets in his head when it comes to the international stage. And, um, you know, he's had a couple of decent decent knocks um, in the test team, but he's, he's, he's not performed to the extent that's justified how many tests he's played and that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I mean, he, he's great to watch. Um, he seems like a pretty good, pretty good guy as well. But yeah, he, you just when you're a top order batsman in the Test team, you need a you need to have a better average than he does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nick Madison's the other one over in county cricket at the moment. Obviously, most of them are back in Australia, but Nick Madison stayed there for Durham. Uh, he hit eight and then thirty two. But it's not the runs I want to talk about. It's that the fact that his bat was too big and was taken off of him during the first innings. Yeah, he likes a big bat, old Maddinson. Um, 
probably don't need it in um in county cricket but yeah i suppose you know maybe his sponsors got in his ear and that sort of thing so he, he brought it on out um yeah um you gotta you gotta fit the regulations you know that the, the rules are there for a reason um so i mean it's just a bit silly but um you know he'll be looking to put a good platform together um i think since the sri lanka result there's maybe some talk about changing test teams, changing test selections. And it's an opportunity for Madison to try and come back into that, into that fray. Yeah. I think Madison's, he's really close. And uh, if they're looking for another middle order batter uh, going forward, I think he's definitely an option. He could even open if, if that's something that's required. Um, last night though, we saw the start of, of uh, this new era for England under a, a new monarch. And uh, we'll start with the England women. They played a T20 against India not a lot happening really. India Boulder, uh, India posted 132 for seven. Uh, Mandana and Sharma top scoring with 23 and 29 respectively. And then Sarah Glenn took four wickets and uh, it just kind of stopped India from posting anything that was competitive. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a nice performance from England. Um, seeing Sarah Glenn back in the team and producing, you know, we we love um, <laughs> wrist spin bowlers. And uh, she, she, she went and um, produced again, got the fourth, which was fantastic. And um, she just looked chuffed to be there as well, which, um, you know, you really love to see. Um, she's still a young player. She's only 23. Um, so, you know, it'll be good to see how she develops as well. And um, she'll probably be an important um, an important piece to uh, England's kind of challenging Australia towards the top rank in cricket and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it, the Indian women, yeah, just didn't produce with the bat. Um, and then... They're quite a confidence-based team. So if they don't produce with the bat, then they probably won't produce with the ball. And we saw that translate, you know, Sophia Dunkley of 61 not out of 44. And yeah, just looked comfortably, comfortably in, in the bag for England throughout. Yeah, Alice Capsi also chipped in there at the end with 32 from 20. And Snay Runner was the only wicket taker. So yeah, hopefully India can become a little bit more competitive in the games going forward. Obviously, a, a very big occasion yesterday in England. And uh the England men took full advantage of that. They uh won the toss two days ago and decided to have a bowl. And uh, obviously with the, the, the Queen dying, they um, they cancelled yesterday's play. But uh, it, it got back up at day three. It's going to be a three-day test. But they bowled South Africa out for 118 and uh, they're seven down. So it looks like we're not even going to need all three days. No, no. They um, they performed really well. Um, the bowlers were fantastic. Um, South Africa were lucky to get 118. It was um, Janssen wagging at the end um, that got them to that total. Um, yeah, um, England's England's really since since that big loss, um, you know, reined it in. Uh, really, uh, really showing that they are still that elite Red Bull Red Bull team. Um, Ollie Robinson continues to to perform. He's got five for in that um, first innings. Um, he's just excellent. Got great lengths. Can swing it good variations um really like ollie robinson as um as a red ball bowler Stuart broad um the uh the timeless one well obviously anderson's also the timeless one but those two have been there for a while and broad took four for 41 so you know still still being like i'm still here and i will still i will still do my thing and um yeah the south africans looked quite uncomfortable um part of that was probably the conditions and then part of that was the bowling and um, that definitely translated to that low total. Um, they've been pretty competitive with the ball. Um, you, you mentioned that they're only seven down, but they're 154 for seven. So, yeah. you know, South Africa is still in it. 
but it won't be won't be very easy. Um, Ollie Pope got a nice um nice fifty for England to uh give them a solid base, and uh, they'll be looking to uh, bowl South Africa out for an even smaller total and uh, bring it home. Yeah, uh, Ollie Pope has been really impressive this summer, and I think he's he's definitely cemented that spot at number three. I think he'll be there for a. A long time to come. Stuart Broad also went past Glenn McGrath for wickets taken. Uh, so that's not good news for Australian fans. But uh, leaving Marco Jansen out of that second test was was obviously a mistake. Uh, with bat and bowl, he's uh, just not matched in, in that South African team. And, and he proved it once again. England lead by 36, a couple of days to go. Uh, I don't know. I think England probably put on a, at least 50 more and then we'll see what happens. And if South African can, can put on 300, uh, it's game on, that's for sure. We'll move on, though, to six or out. Uh, I'll kick things off. If you were to pick an ODI opening combination between War, Gilchrist, Finch and Warner, which two are you taking? Oh, God, that would be difficult. Oh, man, that's... Because uh, they're, they're all incredible, aren't they? <laughs> Finch and Gilchrist, I think. I think um, they'd, they'd be... Um, yeah, they they take the game to to whoever the bowling attack is. Um, we're obviously talking about their prime and that sort of thing. Um, but I think the other thing about those two is that they probably complement each other quite well. Um, Finch, surprisingly, the more disciplined of the two in um in uh in that particular particular opening pair. And um, I think they just work really well together. Gilchrist smacking it as hard as he can over the boundary and all that. And then Finch um, being able to knock it around, get Gilchrist on strike and still look really solid and play his strokes. So I think that would probably be be my pick for that. Good call. Good call. All right. So my first question is, if there are, you know, We've seen with the England and South Africa test that they haven't had any play until day three. If there is such dramatic delays, should they tack on maybe an extra day to yeah, finish up? Absolutely. Um, the, the reason they couldn't do that is uh, South Africa is meant to fly home on uh, Tuesday England time, which means they just couldn't fit that extra day in. The good news is that I don't think these circumstances are going to come up again for a little while at least. So it won't be something to worry about. But, yeah, obviously, tack on the extra day. We saw the World Test Championship. Uh, that was effectively a six-day test. So, yeah, absolutely, that's that's the way they should look to do it, but it's, it's not always possible. And, yeah, thankfully, these, these situations are pretty rare. Um, Australia are obviously going to India for five T20s, but what is your opinion on them going to India uh, a month before a, a home World Cup? It's not uh, my opinion, my opinion on that is dollar signs. That's what my opinion is. <laughs> um, you know, that's that's the straight and narrow of why they're doing it. India and Australia make money, and you'd make more money in India, and that's why they're going and playing over there. Um, is it silly before a big tournament in Australia? Yes, it definitely is. But you know, at the end of the day, the uh, the TV people and the uh, and the uh, boards are going to go look at look at that that estimated number and go yeah we're gonna do that we are very much going to do that so you know it's uh it's one of those things um it'll still be a still be a good series and um i suppose it will probably um pack whoever you know wins or performs well in that series um good momentum yeah definitely it, it makes some late nights for us so that's for sure 
It sure does. It sure does. All right. So my next question is, should there be more investment or more emphasis on domestic red ball cricket? You, you mentioned that there aren't that many Australians playing county cricket and a lot of the uh, red ball kind of tournaments do get overshadowed by T20 tournaments all over the place and that sort of thing. Should there be more investment, more promotion towards that sort of format of the game? Uh, I'm going to say no. And the reason is that I don't think promotion is going to help four-day cricket. I don't think it's... Uh, people aren't going to come to four-day cricket no matter what it is. So I don't think, you know, pumping it up is, is going to help. Um, it's pretty well-funded in Australia. that They get the best pitches at the best time of year. Um, obviously, the big bash is in there, but, you know, that's going to happen all around the world, right? Everywhere, uh, whether it's England or the Caribbean or even India, uh, those red ball seasons are shrinking so we can have, have white ball cricket. And uh, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that as long as you're playing enough red ball games to know who is in your best test team I think that's that's the best way to do it. At the end of the day, these four-day competitions are feeders for the test team, right? They're to see who's the best player in your country to, to bring them into the test team and then to win test matches. It's it's not a competition uh, that is for promotion and and for the fans. So yeah, I, I think they're doing they're doing fine. I think there's obviously tweaks to be made, but um, pr- I don't think promotion's necessarily the the answer. Um, honestly, more red ball cricket though. Should we be opening test cricket up to any nation that wants to host it, uh, irrespective if they're inside the, the 10 test playing nations? Um, yeah, for sure. Look, if, um, if nations are interested in hosting test matches, and I'm sure some of those associate nations would be, then let them have it. Um, it doesn't even necessarily need to be the team that's from that sort of location, you know, if they got facilities and they got the conditions to play test cricket, you can have, you know, two international sides. We've seen it with Pakistan. They played in the UAE a whole bunch. And, you know, you, you, I love test cricket. You love test cricket. Um, We want to see more of it. And if that's the, the formula to see more of it, as long as the, uh, the conditions are up to standard and the facility is good, then we definitely should. Yeah. 100%. Cool. Awesome. All right. So my last question is how big of a role do you think the reserves of the international T20 squads play? Um, I think they just throw the ball in the nets to the batters that want throwdowns and that's about it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The reserves are, are literally just there as net bowlers most of the time. And that's why they take, bowlers as those those traveling reserves um we saw it with england they're taking like time or meals and that kind of thing so yeah that's that's kind of the role is to just be around the group if there's an injury obviously you come into the squad but even then you, you're just in the squad right you're not in the playing 11 so um it's the chances of you getting a game are next to none we saw dan christian went to the t20 world cup last year as a traveling reserve and then left two games through because uh he just wasn't required so yeah, it's basically just to, to give throwdowns in the nets is, is the role. Uh, we'll move on, though, to something that was announced during the week, and that's the T20 World Cup warm-up fixtures. No, these aren't the ones that Australia's going to India for. These are all played in Australia, uh, a mix between the Junction Oval, the Gabba, Allen Borderfield, and a couple of the MCG. Um, any of these kind of stand out to you? Obviously, Australia is playing India at the Gabba. That'll be a, a big warm-up game, you would have thought. 
That will that will definitely be a big warm up game. Um, there's also New Zealand versus South Africa, which is going to be mm-hmm. going to be pretty big. That'll be interesting to watch, and England versus Pakistan. So they're kind of they're all they're all kind of concurrent, which is interesting. But uh, yeah, um, it's going to be that's going to be a big day, big day of cricket, and um, going to definitely um, you know mean quite a bit in regards to momentum, especially because you know it's in the conditions. Um, later on, New Zealand also play India, and that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, and yeah, um, what I'm quite interested in is uh, um, some of the smaller nations who've who've made it um, and what they're going to do. Um, Scotland and Netherlands feels like that would be a fun matchup. Mm. Um, Ireland and Namibia that'll be at the MCG as well. At the MCG as well, <laughs> that'll be that'll be rowdy. That'll be good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 quite I'm quite excited for the warm up fixtures, and it gives you a good uh, a good uh, sort of appetizer to uh, to going into the tournament. Yeah, the warm-up fixtures are sometimes more fun than the actual uh, the actual tournament, just because they're literally going out there trying to um, like give batters as much time as possible to hit sixes, basically. So yeah, that'll be a, a lot of fun. Obviously, seeing the Junction Oval getting um, getting put in the spotlight is, is good to see as well. Uh, the other news from the week from the T Twenty World Cup is South Africa has announced their squad. Um, Quinton de Kock is there. All the big names, you know, Maharaj, Markram, Miller, uh, Nork is there. Wayne Parnell, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. Rabada, uh, Riley Russo, that's a that's a good um good pick in my opinion. Shams, he's there, the top wicket caper, uh, top wicket taker in T Twenty cricket at the moment, and Stubbs is in there. Uh, the only weak point that I can see is right up the top, Tamba Bavuma as the captain. He just doesn't quite have the power for T Twenty cricket. No, maybe not, but he's he's the best influence in the South African um dressing room. And I think that's that's why he's there. Even if he's not an elite T20 player, he's he's a fantastic person, and um, you know I think he's essential to uh, to being in that sort of thing. Um, he's he's a decent captain as well. He makes decent choices, and look, he'll probably bat like lower down the order, anyways, like six or something like that. Yeah. So he won't necessarily be all that crucial. If it gets down to him, then his top order haven't done the job. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, T20 cricket is somewhere where you can kind of have a captain that, that's doing that kind of role. Um, you know, England carried Owen Morgan for a little while there and uh, other teams have definitely done it in the past. And as you said, Bavuma's the best influence on that team. Um, obviously, Shulang, uh, South Africa have had a lot of issues uh, with racism in the past and investigations to that. And Teba Bavuma's really been on the front foot um, leading that team in a way that's uh, been important. In an ideal world, if um, if they could make someone else captain, I think David Miller would do a good job. And then you'd bring in um, Dewalt Brevis as well with the bat. Obviously, he's, he lit up the the IPL and, you know, he's a really talented player. And, you know, Bavuma's 32, so this could be his last T20 World Cup as well, um, especially if he's not performing to the level he should be. Uh, and their fast bowlers, that'll, those fast bowlers are going to be really dangerous in Australia. Yep, yep. Um, Parnell's going to be great. Um, I'm hoping to see a good performance from Ingedi because he's been a bit inconsistent of late. Um, Dwayne Pretorius, he's been great in the CPL, so he'll be coming yeah. in in some in some good form. So that'll be that'll be that'll be fun to see. And um, I think they've they've put up a pretty good squad. Um, Tristan Stubbs, um, you know, he's it's his first selection, so congratulations mm-hmm. to him. And uh, maybe we'll see him see him play a bit. Um, Vander Dussen missed out because um, he was uh, yeah. he was injured. Um, so that's maybe another little hole. So the reserves are uh, Bjorn Fortune, uh, Marco Janssen, and Dile Pea Um, So, you know, um, bowlers, um, 
tossing them down in the nets as you as you mentioned in six and out. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's cool cool to have them over. Um Luque who's um played here before, which is pretty cool. Um Marco Jansen um coming off, you know, a great test series. It'll be it'll be, you know, sometimes you get to see the net sessions and that sort of thing. So it'll be nice for the fans to have have those people at least down here for a little bit. Yeah, I think they they're definitely gonna be a, a very competitive side and we'll uh We'll, we'll test Australia, that's for sure. Uh, going from T20 World Cup to something a little bit closer to home, second 11 cricket is back in Australia and Tasmania have announced uh, a full-strength squad for their uh, their first game. Jordan Silk is there as captain. He'll be captain in Tasmania full-time from now on. But, uh, you know, Jake Doran's there with the gloves and, you know, Gabe Bell with the ball, Tim Ward, Bo Webster in the middle um, and Mack right at the top. So uh, a very strong squad from Tasmania there. And then Victoria have gone in with what would be traditionally a second 11 squad, but the name down the bottom is the one I want to focus on. Will Bukowski has been named in that squad. Yeah. It's exciting to see Bukowski play again. Um, hopefully he's okay. Hopefully yeah. he doesn't get hit in the head where it, it's, it's like, it's like watching a baby deer, um, <laughs> you know, skate across a frozen lake. Yep. You just hope he's going to be okay. Cause you know, um, he is a great player and um, he's definitely, you know, he's the kind of player who could be in that test team for a, for a long time and, uh, and, you know, be one of those, one of those great Australian players, but he just gets so many concussions and, you know, it's, it's just quite stressful when you see, you know, they bring on the big fast bowler and they start bowling short to Will Bukowski <laughs> um, and you, and you worry a bit, but, you know, um, it's good to see him playing again and uh, hopefully he performs. Yeah, I, I don't think he's that far away from test selection again if he performs well. Um, he, when at that single the test he played, you know, at, at the Gabba, he was he was very good hitting half century. And uh, as we know, David Warner's career is probably coming towards the end um, just with, like, the, the news around T20 cricket for him. I think that wouldn't be happening unless he knew that um, the red ball stuff was coming in and he'd have more time to play white ball stuff. Uh, we'll move on, though. There's been another change in the second eleven cricket, and that is the ACT slash New South Wales countryside. They have changed their name just to the Australian Capital Territory. Um, there's been a little bit of a thought in Canberra that that is kind of uh, opening up a path for a Sheffield Shield or one-day cup team in the capital. I know that's um, certainly what you would like. Um, give you a chance at selection, which would be exciting. <laughs> I, I <know> it's... <laughs> it's uh... I think it would be good, you know. Um, it's just a matter of if they have the same um, recruitment capacity as the other big um, big states do. You know, um, the Northern Territory don't have a team, um, for example. So, you know, it's something to think about in regards to if they're able to select and then field a team that has the same capabilities as the other state teams. Because you, you ultimately want the Sheffield Shield and that sort of thing to be competitive. But I think if they're able to, and um, I think they definitely have the facilities to, you know, support a team like that. Then, then they should. And um, I would be, I would be all about it. And I know you would too. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'm close to selection. I'm coming off three ducks to end last season, so uh, it's that's not going to happen. But I think there's the facilities in Canberra are really good. Um, you know, the the AC tri- ACT cricket uh, facility is excellent, and uh, I think there's definitely enough players in Australia to to warrant it. You know, Josh Phillippe is playing over in WA and doesn't get selected. He's, uh, you know, one of the best up-and-coming talents in the country and, and can't get a game because they've got about 17 wicketkeepers ahead of him. So, yeah, I think um, if you took, like, the best three or four players from around Australia that aren't playing 
and put them into one team. I think, you know, there's no issues there at all. Um, the recruitment aspect is interesting, right? Because, you know, so many of the players that come through the ACT have to disappear to other states to be able to, to, be able to play cricket. And uh, Mac Wright, as I said earlier, for uh, Tasmania, he's, a, he's one of them. He had to go to Tasmania to get an opportunity because it's not here in Canberra. Um, there's a bunch of guys playing first grade cricket in Sydney that uh, are from Canberra as well that, you know, don't get that opportunity because there's no team here. So, yeah, I, I think that there's definitely the... Look, the, the first grade competition is not as strong, and part of that's also because the players, best players have to move. So, um, yeah, there's definitely an appetite for it, and if it's possible, they should definitely be looking at that aspect. And, you know, Australia as a country is just growing every day, so it makes sense that you'd have to expand the teams eventually. So, yeah, I think that's um, – I think it's definitely – it's on its way, and we've seen, you know, the Cricket Australia 11 in the past past play in the uh, the ODI tournament, even Canberra, the, the Comets had a team at, at one stage. So, yeah, it, it's coming, and uh, – maybe in the next decade or so. But the other one I wanted to bring up was the possibility of a Big Bash team um, in Canberra. Uh, Brad Haddon's been a long proponent of this one um, just to expand the competition a little bit more. And I'm not sure expanding the competition is the way to go, but maybe moving the Thunder out to Canberra, you know. Um, I think, you know, two teams in a city is, is not quite working in the Big Bash. No, um, I agree with you. Um, I guess maybe the other option would be move the Renegades there as well. Um, no, there's two we don't want the Renegades. You don't want the Renegades. <laughs> move the Stars there then. <laughs> yeah, um, I think you're right in respect to expansion. I think there's already a lot of big bash that happens and I think more teams would probably mean more matches, which probably means longer tournament, yeah. which is already a bit of a slog. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely behind the idea of moving the Thunder or a team like that. Um, over to Canberra. You could even rebrand it if you want it to, you know, be a purely Canberra kind of team. And um, yeah, look, um, as you've mentioned several times, you draw a lot of fans in Canberra and, you know, sometimes often even more so than, you know, if you, if you go to see a Sydney Thunder home game or that sort of thing. So why, why wouldn't you have a team there if there's demand for it and if there's a fan base and um, it would be a, be a good fan base and a, probably a good move for Australian cricket? Yeah, I think the obvious answer is we obviously sell the franchise to Delhi. It becomes the Canberra Capitals and uh, we make billions of dollars out of it. That's, that's the best way to do it. Um, but that's where we'll, we'll leave the episode for this week. We'll call stumps on it. Um, Callum, where can people find you on social media? Yep, I'm on Twitter at Callum underscore Logie. Perfect. And you can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at the Top Edge Podcast. Uh, we're part of the Edge of the Crowd Network. Find out the Edge of the Crowd on uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and probably some other ones that I'm forgetting. And uh, Edge of the Crowd, you can find the website at www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Uh, that's where we'll wrap things up for the week. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>